Hello, you're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, the markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovation in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver some of the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this episode, our featured guest is Duran Barnes, Senior Managing Director and Global Head of Equities Trading and Distribution at Oppenheimer. And our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking at Oppenheimer. This episode was recorded on September 26, 2023. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this episode called Action Versus Inaction, Breaking the Current Trading Gridlock. I'm your host, Jane Ross, and we're here with Duran Barnes, Oppenheimer's Global Head of Trading and Equities Distribution. Well, here we are again with Duran at a seemingly pivotal time in the market. We've got the Fed maybe nearing the end of interest rate increases. We've got strikes. We've got political turmoil. We've got potential shutdowns and elections looming. We've got high energy prices and student loan debt coming due. And it's the month of October, which is often a spooky time in the market. So given all of this, I'm very happy to be here again with Duran Barnes, Oppenheimer's expert in trading flows, client behavior, and general market intel. So hi, Duran, and welcome back. Thanks for having me back again, Jane. Love being with you. Yes, yes. Well, here we are again in an October, and I guess we should start by you know, quick look in the rear view mirror. The market this year was a bit different than your expectations. So why don't we, you bring us up to speed on how we got here and where you think we're at? Yeah, quite an interesting year. Let's start with the positive in the sense that the market acted very well and most people and did not think the equity markets were going to perform well in the first half of the year, felt there would be a lot of challenges with the Fed and inflation and rate concerns. In spite of the fact that we had a pretty scary time with Silicon Valley Bank and a bank crisis situation, the markets showed themselves to be very resilient. I think, you know, we talk about blue collar versus white collar. I think this year we kind of saw a white collar recession at the start of the year versus a blue collar recession. People seem to be doing well and the surplus of cash that the moms and pops had at home was lasting longer than people had anticipated. Fuel that with the AI frenzy and uh, excitement regarding NVIDIA, et cetera. If you look at the performance of the first half of the year, the good news is we bounced back a very, very troubling 22 in the tech space. So people regained a bunch of performance there in the first half of the year. That was great. But the, the problem with it, it, was, it wasn't tremendous breath, Jane. We're talking about eight names driving performance. And if you look at the current situation, those eight names are 40% on a year-to-date return on average, whereas the breadth of the market is flat. And that is where kind of we, we were kind of caught off guard and people did not expect us to have such a decent first half of the year with those you know bank crisis behind us, rate discussions. And then of course, uh, the tech craze kind of carried us through that the first half of the year. Yeah, totally. Well, I want to stay on some of the stuff you just brought up. You know, the Fed is certainly the big topic still. They opined a little while ago, the market didn't love it. I guess the consensus is that we're nearing the end of this program. But, you know, 
what do you think? Rates higher longer, that's a huge theme. That's a huge theme. And last week when you know Fed Powell spoke, that was the first time that I felt a real concern coming out of our institutional client base for two reasons. One, higher rates longer, and more importantly, cuts. There was estimated to be four cuts, and now that's kind of estimated down to two. Since that moment in time, coupled with the time of the year we are at, led to a lot of this negative performance that we're starting to see. And um, I think we should talk about that. And when you talk about expectations for the Fed, I just like saying this word, but one of the things people look at is the dot plot. So that's indicating what? So the, the dot plot is indicating to us interest rate performance, what are the data points that are being used by the Fed in order to make these decisions applicable to the current market environment. And so correcting inflation and the problem of inflation is a very tricky scenario that everyone understands the Fed has been doing the best they can. Last week, though, there was a lot of concern. There's just really not a great handle on the situation. I mean, you look at energy prices, you look at gas prices, that is definitely going to be a problem for inflation. And so how do you continue to control the narrative and control the markets and move in the rate environment that you are with all these data points that are coming out? Yeah. And bringing up energy prices. So, you know, when you and I talk, we like to talk about the big themes in the market, but how those themes affect traders and market participants. So when you look at energy, which is a big one, and prices are high, what are your thoughts there? Do you see things trading with energy price moves? I think I think the energy strength and the price moves are, have caught people a little bit off guard here. And it's a supply issue. And the narrative that we have coming out from overseas, whether it's the Russians and the Saudi Arabians all together at once, this, these are not accidental in nature. They cause a lot of concern. But I think like, look, people are voicing more and more how that affects them at the pump. Uh, that's the read through for the mom and pop at home that love to go and uh, assess how we're doing and if things are getting better and gas prices are much higher. And so that really hits home. And what is that kind of effect? Well, remember we talked, Jane, about the blue collar recession versus the white collar recession. Well, now the blue collar household is a feeling the effects. The labor market showing some softening. The economy showing some softening. People are, are diving into their spending. Credit cards, debt never been higher. Um, mortgage rates have never been higher in our, in our time period. Uh, there are some super big challenging issues and that's going to affect the consumer. And so the data points in the next few months are going to be key. And, and everyone's going to be looking up what is Christmas going to be like this year? Who's going to spend money? Are they going to spend money? But like one of the data points that we got today was that people are tapping into their 401ks and borrowing money from their 401ks. That seems like an interesting data point because quite frankly, that tells you people are running out of cash. There was a surplus of cash. We're now post-COVID pandemic applications and processes. And so now we've been draining the bathwater, which is why we thought the first half of the year would be tougher. It just took longer for the water to, to be drained from the bathtub. And that's kind of what we're feeling right now. Yeah, yeah. And when you talked early about that consumer resiliency, then some of those things you just talked about looking ahead, that might really be a moderating force in the market, not to the good. But when you talk about cash, that's another thing around what the Fed's been doing, right? There, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines in the market, right? So the last time we spoke, we talked about how fixed income was a really big competitor to equities. 
look at you were in the bond market as well. I mean, two years of rough bond uh, performance going on three, that's something to be aware of. But I think what what you see now is you have six trillion in money markets with an additional trillion last week. That tells you people are very comfortable taking their 5% and liking it. And actually, you cannot blame the investors for doing that, which is why we've had this period, especially in the last week, we will then get to the forces in the market and the participants. But what you're finding here is with these data points, with these concerning data points on the forward, we still don't know what earnings are going to look like for the next three weeks. So absent of some data points, why would you deploy your cash into equities and assess valuations when you can quietly stay in your 5% for now and wait for the data points, which is why we're kind of in this malaise, ambivalent-like situation. So moving then to some of the participants, again, given all that cash on the sidelines, given uncertainty about earnings, let's talk about some of the buckets that you like to watch. You know, mutual fund behavior, would you still categorize the mutual funds as being fairly conservative in here? Yeah. So the mutual funds, good news for them is they performed well, as we mentioned, on the tech bounce back in a lot of their positioning. There's no rush for mutual funds to buy equities right now. And they're very comfortable waiting. Look, it's the time of year where we're at. Last week before that Powell spoke, we had a bunch of conferences where, where equity portfolio managers and fixed income, they speak to companies and they get a handle and get a feel of, of how these things are shaping up for the rest of the year. But, you know, if you look at the participants, even just starting from last week, the hedge funds who have been underperforming on a performance basis in the equity markets year to date, they're doing a lot right now to chase performance. Their grosses are up. Okay. They're selling their winners and they're convicted on their shorts where they're betting against the names they've really unlike, you know, not liked for a while. And they're pressing those shorts and that's what we're feeling over the course of the last week since the Powell hawkish commentary. And so you've got those participants who are now short, convicted short, and will cover some of that and make some money back. You have CTAs, which we talked about, those quant funds that are technical in nature, so are forced to sell the more the market goes lower and forced to buy as much as the market goes higher. Right now, it's right on the technical level of selling, and it would be $35 billion in supply. And then you have traditional mutual funds waiting, waiting and comfortable waiting, very inactive, which makes it really challenging, Jane. Like you see the markets getting, people getting very excited and euphoric about IPOs like Arm and Instacart. And in they came, capital markets opened up and as quick as they opened up, they shut down. Well, let's stay on that because, you know, IPOs coming back was going to be one of the real signals people were looking for to say, okay, the gates are open. We're all good. We got some of those big IPOs that you just mentioned, but can you spend a little bit more time on what you were saying? They they got done, initially traded. What what happened? So it's funny, Jane. I love that you asked this question because for all of us, we're studying. I mean, the markets want positivity. The markets want catalysts. The markets want to, the markets want something that shows you we're going to get through this and capital markets are going to open up and everything's going to be great. And, and so all eyes were on these high named IPOs, um, very popular named IPOs. And the first days they acted okay and then retreated back to deal price. 
And so quickly it said, okay, we were going to get excited about something in equities and we were going to jump back in and find ways to add to our portfolios. But really the markets, as quickly as they opened up, the capital markets now shut down. So that was very interesting for sure. Yeah. And another thing that feels like it's been rather shut down, which I think had been a big positive earlier, are corporate buybacks. Yeah. Buybacks of stock. What do you see in there? That's a great question, Jane. You're spot on again. Last week, you know, post-PAL, you were thinking who was going to support this market. There's no corporate buybacks during blackout period, but we got to wait for earnings. There's no mutual funds stepping in and buying things. There's no need to rush in there. So the only participants you kind of have are these quantity guys. And then of course the long short hedge funds, and that's kind of been driving the marketplace. So that's a really good point. And until we get some floor, if you will, that's what these buybacks do. They give people a sense of security to understand there will be buyers at some point, it's the company. We're in blackout period right now, which is contributing to the ability for the market to just swing very easily. If you look at certain trades that are really hurting people, if you look at like the risk parity funds, you know, volatility has been fairly muted. The VIX is up 8%, S&P's down. They're wrong footed on those types of trades. It forces people to move, sell their, their equity exposure. You know, the VIX brings a little bit you know, it really has been stagnant, Jane. It really hasn't moved. And now you're getting some real action there. And so that forces people's hands as well. Yeah. Okay. So when you talk about us being in a blackout period, you're referencing the time when earnings are coming and so companies can't trade. So when are we going to get the bulk of those earnings reports? Yes. So we're, we're not getting a bulk of the earnings, not for three more weeks. Three more weeks, right. Okay. Yeah, so you you could actually argue that we're going to have a very large vacuum right now. There's this pocket of three, two, three weeks of data points that people are starving for. So is there going to be something out of the blue, like you mentioned at the onset, that we're not aware of, something geopolitical, something um, that we're just blindsided by? I mean, I think that we can't control. What we can look at is, like you said, energy prices, positioning around that, where do rates settle out? A lot of clients that I talk to say four and three quarter on the 10 year, some as high as five. Um, You saw Jamie Dimon had some comments today about how the markets are not prepared for 7%. I mean, these are real comments and real scary comments, if you will. And so it's very prudent, actually, to get advice, speak to people that have knowledge of the markets and be very conservative. That's why people are hanging on to their 5% and liking it. And they don't need to move until something tells you differently. Yeah. And we haven't had that opportunity in a really long time to capture seemingly risk-free 5%. Um, What about in some of the sectors and flows of, of stocks? You know, you mentioned the success stories. You know, every time I do a podcast episode, it feels like we have to talk about AI. You know, that's been a big driver. Can you spend a minute on on those winners and the tech stocks and what you think that translates into in flows? Yeah, it's interesting. The flow dynamics that we saw in the front part of the year is what carried and played itself out. People are buying mega cap tech in size. And there, there are two parts for that. One is the market was getting used to the narrative that the Fed was you know, where they were in terms of raising rates, how often, et cetera, et cetera. But more importantly, tech was so walloped and hit last year 
that there was a a real need for those companies to bounce back and people willed their those companies and they and they did great they did great because there was the euphoria nvidia is is a great situation but i think those companies also learned how to manage through the pandemic learned how to manage through covid and and right size their businesses etc now you hear those companies Walmart, for example, is a great leading indicator company, and our analyst Rapesh does an amazing job covering them. And basically, you know, the company's uh, a leading indicator to say, hey, we're slowing down uh, on our hiring. We are slowing down on our deliveries and purchases. We are a labor force indicator, and they're letting us know that they're slowing down. Other companies are saying they're cutting back on their CapEx spending. These are warning signs that everyone feels like, okay, the data is showing some weakening and some softening. Got to get our arms around that. What does that mean for the economy? And before we understand what this all means, we have to be prepared. We're not going to deploy capital on a three to five year window like the mutual funds that I love so much. They can't build a portfolio the way they'd like to until they get some more clarity from all these data points we're talking about. So... People are staring at positioning now, Jane, from from the point of last week till the end of the year. You have some mutual funds that have year ends, October and November, not just calendar year. So you have to look at some of the performing stocks they own. They're going to certainly support those names they love. There's also stocks they're going to sell and they need to wait 30 days. If they sell those names and wait their 30 days, it's a wash sale. They can buy those names back. So these are things people are starting, indicators that people are looking at for performance. But ultimately, people are going to do whatever they can to hang on to their gains for the year and take their time on deploying a much larger portfolio bet until they get clarity. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And given what you've said about the consumer and consumer resiliency, and now we've seen a little bit of some indications that maybe that's cracking a little bit, you know, the housing numbers, consumer confidence, that all maybe means that this holiday season is going to be kind of telling for where the consumer is. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'd love to see their intangibles that you and I can't really point to, but the anxiety levels that the consumer feels, the anxiety levels that the institutions are feeling, our top clients are feeling. Someone said to me that I view as, you know, I've been in the business a while and they've been in the business 35 years. They said 2023 is going to go down one of the worst in history, both from an episodic exhaustion, um, anxiety standpoint. Now, whether Jane, that's just social media is super quick, data's coming at us super quick, or in fact, it feels that bad. We talked about capital markets. That's been a challenging for the financial institutions, not doing as many deals. There's not enough paper moving. There's not enough movement going on. And that usually does not bode well. And Jamie Dimon kind of intimated that. If we're stuck, if we're, you know, have a stalemate, that's not good for the markets. And so I think that's kind of the agita and the angst we're feeling. And I think that the clients are feeling that pressure day in and day out. They've never been more fatigued than the year that I've seen this year. Never seen it before. And I think this could be. Um, a pivotal point. The good news is I'm very optimistic for the forward, very optimistic in 2024. Well, let's just stay one second on one of the negatives and anxiety producing things that you and I are not going to have the answer for. But the 
you know, political standoff and a potential government shutdown. We keep going through this kind of regularly, but that's looming by the time this thing gets out our episode here gets into the world, maybe we'll have better visibility. It finally feels like the market's actually treating that like a possibility that that we might have a bit of a shutdown. Yeah. You know, the government shutdown discussion, the political stress that people are feeling, no matter where your stance is, these things are being discussed more and more because they have to be. Look, we don't have to have a political affiliation. We don't ever discuss those things, you, you and I or anybody. But, but there are facts. One candidate who will have four trials potentially in 2024, four is definitely happening, right? And then you have uh, our current president whose ratings are the lowest that they've been. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. Both want to understand what does that look like? right? These are anxieties that people are feeling. Plus the government shut down. And, and there's also polls that talk about what do we feel about the, our performance of our government? And that number is very low too. So look, these are things that are real. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, but I think they're a factor for sure. I think that plays into people's confidence to spend. Am I going to go to the store? Am I going to go buy a car? You know, it's costing me forever to get a lease on a car. Why would I do that? You know, there's a lot of these factors and outside factors, geopolitical issues that you brought up that are real, you know, and that are affecting people's decisions real time. For sure. So we called this thing, you know, action versus inaction. And how do we break the current trading gridlock? It, it sounds like from what you've said, there's a reason that the next couple of months we might continue to be in this kind of gridlocked back and forth. You know, there might be volatility, but we're not going to likely break out, although who knows. But you referenced that you're more positive looking further ahead. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Look, in the end of the day, I think all the um, volatility we're, we're feeling and it's starting to get louder and the action's starting to be uh, faster. Uh, I think in the end of the day, our markets are very good at digesting that stuff. I think we've done that better than we ever did before. I mean, we proved it with the Silicon Valley situation. You know, I think the Fed did a great job, stepped in, our, our, our business leaders, everyone stepped in to do the right thing here. And that, that was a good example of how we can come together. I think we need to come together. I think we're going to need to come together through some tough times. And I think these markets over the next three to five months are going to be tough, uh, very tough. It's going to play the suit of how long this year already has been. But I definitely feel great about the people that, that I talk to, the clients, the institutions, and internally here at Oppenheimer. I feel great about the positioning and our ability to digest, be thoughtful, come up with good solutions, kind to one another and help each other through it because it's been a long period of time where this market has really tried a lot of participants. And the reason why I'm optimistic is I think beginning 2024, we're going to all have to be active, involved. Things are going to be, I hate to use the word hairy, but they're going to be tricky. And so you want to be around people that have been around, seen it, can share it such as yourself and where we can compare notes and advise our clients properly. And the clients advise us as well. That's what makes it a great business and helpful to the common everyday person. 
that we share these ideas we have. Well, Duran, thanks again. As always, you kind of got to the main themes that investors need to be aware of and need to continue to watch. Sounds like you and I need to think about doing another one of these early next year after the holiday, when we see what happens to some of those cash levels that you talked about, when we see what capital markets ahead are gonna look like in 2024. So. We'll do it again. And thank you. Thanks, Jay. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless. And so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode. And remember to subscribe today. Join our community to expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.